Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Bob Yarbrough to the podcast. Dr. Yarbrough serves as professor of New Testament at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He's an accomplished scholar, having published many works, including his contribution to the ESV Expository Commentary on Romans, Clash of Visions, Populism, and Elitism in New Testament Theology, and many more, including his Baker Exegetical Commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Dr. Yarborough, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Dr. Allen, great to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for making time today. Um, delighted to have you on the on the line today to talk. Of course, we were going to record this in person recently, but unfortunately, your trip to Kansas City got upended, and we look forward to being able to have you back here uh, next spring and uh, fulfill the uh, lectures we were we were committed to giving until God's uh, providence interrupted all of that. But it's good to have you today on the phone and to talk about preaching and teaching First and Second and Third John. Thank you. Now, before we get to the topic at hand, um, could you give us a word of update on your ministry and on your family and perhaps uh, any current or, or, or soon-coming writing projects before you? Well, in terms of ministry, I'm doing what uh, seminary professors do. Um, I'm, I'm teaching in Sunday school and preaching on most Sundays. Uh, I'm teaching Greek classes and uh, actually teaching a theological German class one evening a week. And uh, preparing to go overseas once a year, I teach in South Africa and uh, train pastors over there. Then I've got a lot of uh, writing projects and editing projects that I'm working on, um, commentaries and a, and a theological journal that I edit. Um, I've been married for almost 49 years, and uh, we have adult sons. We have no grandchildren, but we have a wonderful white German shepherd named Dagger. So that pretty much covers the top of the uh, the family front. Well, good for you and good for Dagger. I bet it's good to be in the Yarborough house as uh, as as a canine. Uh, I'm curious before you uh, before we get going to the topic at hand, just more broadly about how your love for the New Testament developed and how God worked in your life decades ago to become a New Testament student and then a New Testament scholar. Yes, that's a good question and People ask me that a lot when they find out that my father went to eighth grade near Springfield. It was a real place called Locust Prairie, and uh, nobody in my family had gone to college. And my father was a blue-collar worker, worked climbing trees, and that's what I thought I was going to do. And I started felling timber out in Montana and Idaho when I was 18, um, but Basically, you could say uh, God convicted me that I, I needed to uh, get right with him. And uh, my wife confessed faith in Christ. We got married as teenagers, and you know we weren't really following the Lord at that time. And I started working in a little church, Trinity Baptist Church in Missoula, Montana. One thing led to another. You know, I started shoveling snow and, and uh, working on the physical end of things, but I started teaching children and and reading my Bible and witnessing to my coworkers. And uh, the more I worked in the local church, the more I realized I didn't know what I was talking about. And so I started uh, going to school. I went to Southwest Baptist College in Bolivar, Missouri, back before it was a university. Um, went back logging, thought I was gonna be vocational. 
But again, God convicted me that I needed to learn more. So I ended up doing a master's in New Testament at Wheaton College. Then thought I was called to missions and ended up doing a, a doctorate in Europe because I thought that's where we would be doing missions. And uh, my missions has ended up being short term. And uh, God's plan for me was to uh, study the Bible full time and uh, try to get others excited about it and try to encourage, you know, faithful gospel preaching in the local church and uh, by pastors really all over the world. Well, praise God for that, for his work of grace in your life and uh, the way he's led you over many decades of ministry and uh, kingdom service. So we're talking today about preaching and teaching uh, the Johannine epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, You've written a commentary on those books. And uh, again, kind of by way of introduction, I'm curious as to what drew your attention, uh, not just to the New Testament generally, but specifically uh, to these three letters that so often are overlooked. Well, you know, sometimes these things seem to happen by accident, but I guess if I had to put a cause on it that I could sort of quantify, when I was coming of age as a young Christian, I was out in Montana, and there were a lot of Mormons, and there were a lot of Jehovah Witnesses, and uh, all the roads, uh, about all the roads, uh, or all the questions would lead back to the divinity of Christ. And John's gospel and John's epistles really are, you know, a, a key testimony to the divinity of Christ in the New Testament. So I think it was that that practical concern that uh, prepared me for writing on the Johannine epistles because I sort of fell in love with the gospel of John and, and with these three epistles. And when I look at my old Bible that I've kept over all the years, my old New American Standard, when you get to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the pages are all coffee-stained. Uh, literally, and they're all written over because I spent so much time just meditating on that. And this would have been back in the 1970s. It was in the 1990s that I was asked to write commentary. And uh, I wrote the commentary because uh, I I was asked, number one. Number two, I I had written on the Gospel of John. I wrote a little commentary on that for Moody Press in 1991. I had preached on the Johannine epistles a lot. And so when I was asked to write a commentary on them, oh, probably like you, Dr. Allen, if, if anybody would ask you what part of the Bible are you an expert in, you would say, well, it, it's all God's Word, and uh, I don't know a whole lot about any of it compared to God's glory and God's truth. But if there was any book in the Bible that I knew something about, comparatively speaking, it would have been the Johannine Epistles. So uh I, I, it was with consternation that I said yes, but I was willing to say yes because at least I'd spent a lot of time uh, trying to understand what was in those epistles. So give me a sense then, give us a sense, the listeners, of the broad contours of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Perhaps even if you can, off the cuff, just a you know a word of overview of each of the respective books. Well, let's start with 3rd John. 3rd uh, John is written to a guy named Gaius. And he wants to encourage Gaius. He he wants Gaius to watch out for somebody called Diotrephes, and he wants to commend somebody named Demetrius. And I think 3 John is a personal letter from the Apostle John to encourage Gaius um, until John can get there and visit him personally. That's what he uh, says at the end. He says, I've got more to say, but I hope to say it uh, sometime soon. Um, he also wants to stabilize Gaius because 
there are false teachers running around, and he doesn't want Gaius to fall for their uh, for their false message. So that's that's Third John. Uh, Second John has a lot of the same kind of uh, language, especially love and truth and walking in the truth and encouragement, but also warning. And it's written to a church. And, uh, you know, I share the view of, of a lot of students of the Johanning letters uh, that third John is written to Gaius uh, and second John is kind of in the same, uh, it's in the same packet that contains uh, third John and, and probably first John too. But second John is written to the church. Gaius is to a member of the church. Second John is to the church. And I think it's probably the church at Ephesus, uh, which also is written by false teachers. And so John, who tradition says lived at Ephesus for the last 20 or 30 years of his life and was like the chief pastor of the seven churches of Asia that we read about in Revelation. Uh, Second John is written to the the mother church uh, to encourage them to stand by what it is that they had received from the Apostle John and any other apostles that had been there. And then First John is a letter to deal with, you could say, a dust-up that has happened in the church. And in First uh, John 2, 19, it says, they went out from us. So, th- so there's been a split in the church. And uh, John wants to encourage the church, again, to, re- to abide in what they received from the beginning, and not to be swayed by the false teachers or by the, the breakaway party, and simply to abide in Christ and to be faithful to the message they received in, in living it out and in loving one another. Well, that's kind of an overview of the three taken together. And so when you think of the books themselves and preaching and teaching through them, um, when I have heard them preached or taught over the years, either in churches I've been a part of or observing ministries and churches that I'm aware of, uh, occasionally First John uh, is preached, and typically the sermon series is something around assurance of one's salvation, you know, the birthmarks of a believer, a series like that. Second and Third John, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard someone else preach through them. Uh, give us a sense as to wh- why that is the case as far as the basic accessibility of these three books and why they're so often overlooked, especially the latter two, uh, by evangelical preachers. Well, Alan, those are great questions, and I would ask the same question, for example, about the book of Jude. The book of Jude rarely gets preached, and for that matter, Second Peter doesn't get preached very much. So uh, maybe one reason would be they're so short, and they're kind of stuck near the end, uh, between the end of Paul's letters and Hebrews and, and the book of Revelation, that they just don't get looked at, because they're uh, short, and they're in a, a sort of a hidden place. Um, I think another reason is for second and third John, there's the challenge of what, what's the context of these letters, you know, taken by themselves. If you just read either second or third John alone, they, they seem to be kind of hanging out in space and maybe a little repetitious. And they talk about love and truth and you know, commandments, but it, it's very generic and it, it's hard to pin down just exactly what they're talking about so that you could preach a sermon or two or three sermons to a congregation to say, you know, let's let's heed this message because the message seems kind of abstract without a context. And I just you know, gave you a context, you know, Gaius and the local church, and then the churches of Asia that I think that the the Johannine epistles went to with with 
a little bit of historical context, I think you could make a little more sense uh, and, and preach these letters. I know I've preached them a lot. I went to South Africa a couple of years ago and spent a whole week just teaching on third John, second John and first John. So there's a lot there. If, if you can, you know, think of a plausible context, uh, Dr. Allen, there's one other reason that I think people steer away from first John. Uh, and that's, it's so convicting. There are, there are a lot of verses in first John that, that are troublesome to deal with. Uh, in fact, the first time I tried to pe- preach through it in a church, I, I was a very young pastor and uh, after about the first chapter, I just quietly changed to a different book because I was getting a lot of negative feedback from the little country congregation. They didn't like to hear what First John was saying. And, uh, you know, being a young pastor and very unsure of myself, um, I didn't want to lock horns with, you know, these much older church leaders. So I think that's another reason that they're neglected. If you really slow down and take the verses carefully and slowly and, and see what they're what they're uh, saying and bring that message home, uh, a lot of people, including maybe the pastor, they're, they're going to be squirming. And, you know, they're just happier verses to deal with than some of the passages in First John. <laughs> so with that and building on that, that observation, what are the common themes of, of these three books? You know, uh, there's a question of how, how you determine what the common themes are. And uh, my solution to that question is count the words. And my theory I've developed over the years is that frequency implies focus. Frequency implies focus. Uh, so the thing that the writer talks the most about is probably what's the most on his heart and mind. And when you look at First uh, John... Uh, the thing he talks about the most by far is God. So the word God occurs 62 times. And if you throw uh, the word son in there, capital S son, that's another 22. And if you throw capital F father in there, that's another 13. So you end up with a hundred explicit references to deity. So a lot of times commentaries on first John get off into as you say, either assurance, which is not unimportant, or they get into the sectarian squabble. Why did the church split, and what were the views of the false teachers? But where First John really shines is if a pastor looks for what does it tell us about God. You know, as you begin down around verse five or verse six, it says, "God is light." That's the central burden of the epistle is the nature of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God and the Son of God. So that's the main theme. It's a theocentric and a Christocentric epistle. And then right under that, you get uh, love. The verb and the noun for love occur 46 times. So that's the second most frequent theme uh, by, by word count. Then, you know, a close third is the, the idea of knowing God, or knowing the truth, or knowing that this or that is so. Uh, there are 39 occurrences of verbs for knowing in First John. And then uh, you get down to a few other themes like abide. You know, there are two dozen references to abiding in that little epistle of First John. So that's clearly a very important concept. 
and I, I think the reason is because you know these were these were first generation Christians, and a lot of times when we're we don't have a heritage in the in the faith, it's easy to come into the faith and then get get pushed out somehow, or to get subverted. We made a good start, but then we don't have a heritage, we don't have rootage, and, and we get you know pushed to the side. So abiding is is, is critical. Then. Uh, there's another cluster of words that, that uh, form, I think, the, the other thing we could mention, and that is sin and commandment. So sin occurs 13 or 17 times. Commandment occurs 14 times. And right in there also is the word hear. And, of course, faith comes by hearing. And uh, if we have a, a sin issue, which the people that First uh, John has written to uh, they have a sin issue. They need to hear the word so that the Holy Spirit can can convict them and and they can repent and stabilize and get back to abiding in Christ. So, God, love, know, abide, sin, commandment, and hear. That's a pretty good summary of major themes of the major Johannine epistle. Yeah, that's very very well said, and uh, I appreciate your your emphasis hermeneutically on. Perceiving, uh, sensing, uh, detecting, uh, perhaps even counting the, the frequency of words and topics, and then uh, and then drawing the appropriate conclusion that frequency implies focus, and so that's just a basic hermeneutical principle that's helpful to um, to be restated here. So, so then you've talked about the common themes of of preaching, teaching these letters. What are common pitfalls that pastors, especially pastors who be preaching, should look out for when they're engaging these letters? Well, Dr. Allen, you mentioned one of them, and the first pitfall would be ignoring the letters. <laughs> so we don't want to ignore them. Uh, another pitfall probably would be uh, getting in a hurry. Uh, because John writes in um, sort of a cyclic way, he, he'll t- take up a theme, and then he moves another theme, and then he picks up the previous theme, then he jumps to a third one, and then he goes back to the second one. He talks about the same thing many times through the epistle, but he does it from different angles and with very nuanced, different emphases. So you cannot preach First John in a big hurry. And I'm not saying you should just preach one verse a week, but uh, anything less, I would say, than, than about five sermons at, at, the, at the least. You're getting way too much in a hurry. I would see, say more like 10 or 15 as a minimum to begin to do justice to First John. So ignoring is a pitfall, getting in a hurry is a pitfall. Uh, I think fear of its message is a pitfall. Uh, just, uh, for example, what does it mean? No one who is born of God sins. You know, that, that idea is repeated explicitly three times in First John. And I don't know about you, Dr. Allen, but before I start preaching on a book, you know, I read it and I go, do I really want to uh, handle this hot tamale? <laughs> so sometimes, you know, I'll move to, uh, to a passage that's a little less controversial because, you know, I'm, I'm lazy like anybody else. And, you know, I want, I want to pick the low-hanging fruit and not to start something that I'm afraid I can't finish. So I, I think sometimes people avoid first John because there are some really challenging verses in it. And then Dr. Allen here, I think is, 
you know, in, in my commentary and in my years of meditating on first John, um, the one thing that hit me the most, it was personally convicting and it continues to fascinate me. Um, we, we all know that to be a Christian, you have to believe. So that's, that's one dimension, the dimension of faith. You have to move from lack of faith to faith in Christ, crucified and risen. But then, you know, when you read First John, you see that there's an emphasis on obeying. There's an emphasis on obedience, or we could say works. So, you know, it's faith, and then real faith in Christ changes our hearts, and the result is a change of behavior. And so, so you know, we, we have uh, works to show for our faith. But for years in, in pastoring, I became aware you have this issue of people in the church, they're regular attenders, they would pass the doctrinal test. They're not robbing banks. They're they're not, you know, doing wicked things and you know, they stop at red lights and they're a law abiding citizen. But there was something missing. There is no real zeal or or grace. And that's where love comes in. It's a third dimension. So you know, the question is, what is a pitfall? I think one of the pitfalls is is missing the third dimension. And the third dimension is the changed heart. Not just, I believe these doctrines and I, I have this moral life, but I have a, an inner desire. Uh, and and it, it shows in compassion for people. And it shows in a, an open heart and a growing heart toward God. And that's what John means by love. It's, it's devotion. Of, I think it's, it's emotional. It's not truly really emotional. But, um, you know, I mentioned a dog. One of the reasons that, that I like our dog is that that dog helps open up my emotional side. <laughs> and I find that a lot of men have, have hard hearts. And they're not very open emotionally. They don't notice kids, and they may be pretty uh, gruff with their wives. Uh, we need open hearts. And the gospel that John knows is a gospel that creates a, a fervor and a compassion for other people. And so it's not just doing good things for other people. And it's not just sometimes I hear, you know, and this is true, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And then the, the statement is made, well, um, love is just obedience. No, love is the motivation that the gospel creates to obey. So I do think that when you understand this third dimension, that First John just opens up so much more richly, because a lot of what he's talking about is, is more affective than it is either doctrinal or ethical. You know, doctrinal has to do with faith, ethical has to do with behavior. But what's the spirit out of which we believe and obey? And that's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of affection. It's a spirit of, of a changed compassion and devotion toward other people and toward God. And if that's there because of the presence of Christ in our lives, now we can really understand the passion that John had or, you know, all these things he says that sound the same, but they're really not the same if you look at it from all three dimensions. 
you know, you so helpfully outlined the book and pitfalls to have an eye out for. And I love how you began with the pitfall of, of not preaching the book in the first place, avoiding the book. And I, I do think in many pastors' minds, perhaps, again, not even with conscious awareness, but the Johannine epistles are, are kind of like Hebrews, uh, books they know that are spiritually rich, but but there's some angular passages, there's some some difficult passages, there's some uh, barbed passages, and so they, they kind of avoid just kind of not even sure what they would all they would get into exegetically if they endeavored to actually study through it carefully, and to preach through it verse by verse methodically. So I love how you you outline that for us. Well, Doctor Yarbrough, time is almost gone, but let me just tee you up for with one final question. Uh, for those listening to the book that perhaps are, are are resonating with the conversation, those listening to the podcast, I should say, who are resonating with the conversation, and they're tempted to preach through it, uh, give us a word of encouragement as to to why uh, men and women should preach and teach uh, through this book, through these letters of their Bibles. Well, the church needs it, and uh, preachers in the church uh, need it. Uh, I need it. I, I love to teach Johannian epistles, and I do it almost every semester in seminary because uh, it, it gets me back into the magnificence of God and the excellence of the Son of God. And uh, it, it is so rich in renewal potential because it convicts us where we're falling short, and then it points us again to the one who supplies what we need to, to reestablish a connection with him, and also to see the opportunities all around us that we have uh, to care, uh, to share, uh, to teach, to reach out, and just to bring honor and glory to God through appropriating the message that's there and, and, and living it out in our personal lives and our marriages, in our church contacts, and then in our evangelism and our outreach to other people. So I, I think the, the, the biggest encouragement is simply how it recenters Christ for us and uh, reopens possibilities for renewal in God. And, and you know, we all get kind of dulled, and uh, you know, the uh, the COVID thing you know, was a, a great opportunity to see uh, how easily people can be dissuaded from a fervor for God. First, uh, second, and third John taken together are just a great tonic to to bring us back to what's basic and what's richest and what's really life transforming in the gospel that uh, John represents in all of his writings. Dr. Yarbrough, we'll have to leave it there, but thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. Uh, may the Lord richly bless you and all that he's entrusted to you. Right, thank you very much. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.